Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. Today's passage is 1 Timothy 2. The Christian and politics. Frankly, I think that's an interesting topic to discuss, partly because I think it's actually complex. There's a lot of interesting nuances that we would have to think through in a conversation like that. For starters, Christians and their relationship to politics, I would say, probably varies a lot from culture to culture. You take one culture on one hand that has a very dictatorial government and the citizens don't really have rights or Christians are persecuted. On the other hand, maybe you have a culture like the United States, a more democratic nation where there are rights and you have the right to vote or the right to uh, defend your rights according to the Constitution. That's an interesting wrinkle. Or another thing is uh, not everything that Christians could do is necessarily something that Christians should do. For instance, running for office. Can Christians do that? I think absolutely they could run for office. Does that mean every Christian should run for office? Well, no, not necessarily. And so hopefully you see some of the nuances that could come up in that conversation. But our text today is going to make two things crystal clear. And that's a good way to think through that topic in general of the Christian and politics. There's some things where there may be a lot of room for discussion and interesting, but there will always be some things that should be crystal clear. And our text today is going to highlight two of them. Basically, we should be, no matter what society we are in, we should be people of prayer and we should be people of peace. These are things that should describe Christians. It says here, as now Paul gets more into his instruction in chapter 2 of 1 Timothy, the first of what we call the pastoral epistles, letters that Paul is writing to pastors, he says, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So there you see the two things, that we should be praying and that we should be peaceful. Now, this prayer that he talks about is really general. It should be for all people. But then he specifically highlights the political leaders as people that Christians should pray for. So that's a very clear takeaway for you today. You should pray for your political leaders. Now, almost all of you are living in the United States of America. That means you should be praying for your president, your vice president, praying for the leaders in Congress, praying for those in state leadership, wherever you live, your governor and and the leaders there, praying for the leaders in your city or perhaps your county. You should be praying for these people. And he emphasizes that with several different words on prayer there, one of which is thanksgivings. Now, if we are being honest, uh, thanksgiving is 
frankly, not the first thing that comes to mind many times when we think about our political leaders. But here we see God's word instructing us to offer thanks for our political leaders. So, are you praying for your political leaders? Are you thanking God even as appropriate for them? These are clear instructions from God's word. And if you're not doing the clear things right, let me just tell you this. When you get into the more nuanced parts of talking about a Christian in politics, I can almost guarantee you, you won't do those parts right if you're not doing the clear parts right. You should be praying, but also you should seek to be peaceful. It says that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So there you see, well, what does he mean by peaceful and quiet? Um, Well, it goes on to explain godly and dignified. And we've seen the Apostle Paul and how he's modeled this. This does not mean that he never even asserted or used his political rights. There's times that we see him do that. Uh, Certainly, he ends up being martyred uh, after being arrested. So other people weren't necessarily quiet about what he was doing. But you see, he was not deliberately seeking to go around and to be inflammatory. He was not seeking to stir up trouble. He was seeking to proclaim the gospel. Uh, And that's what he was intending to do. And he did that in a way that was characterized by godliness. And he did that with dignity. That is how we should always interact. Whether you're thinking about things more in the public square or how you might behave with family or extended family or in your workplace, whatever those conversations look like, and peaceful and quiet doesn't mean we'll just back down and and never uh, speak up for the truth. But it means whenever you do that, you are doing it in a a godly and dignified way, in in a way where you're not deliberately seeking to stir up trouble. You are seeking to proclaim the truth, right? So these should be things that we should do. And, And that's what I want you to think about in your own life today. Are you praying for your political leaders? And are you peaceful? Are you, when these subjects even come up, are you just always angry and really seeking to instigate debate and argument? Or are you godly and dignified, even if you are speaking up for the truth, doing it in a way that would honor God? And it gives us a reason why we should be prayerful, why we should be peaceful. And it gives us a reason why we should pray not just for our political leaders, but as it says in verse one, for all people. And it tells us this is good and it's pleasing in the sight of God, our savior. Why? Because he desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. That reminds us that we have, and God ultimately has, a main goal, and that is to see people saved. That is the most important thing for a Christian. And sure, we should not make some false dichotomy. Well, politics doesn't matter at all, and salvation is the only thing that matters. No, that would be a false dichotomy. But it would be biblical to say that while there may be many important things, but there is something that matters most, and that is ultimately people's relationship with Jesus Christ. Do they know this one God, and have they been reconciled to him by this one mediator, the the man Christ Jesus. 
That is the most important question. So again, even as you navigate the sometimes complicated world of the Christian and politics, this needs to be your main goal. Do people know Christ? And have they been reconciled to God through him? That should be what's in your mind when you're dealing with people that disagree with you about political things. And honestly, that should be in your mind when you're talking to people who agree with you about political things. Because especially in our culture, there may be many who share some of your political views or your values, but do they know the man Christ Jesus? That is the only way to be reconciled to God. And that should motivate us to be prayerful and to be peaceful. And one of the things we should be praying for, for our political leaders and for all people is for their salvation. And we need, as I said earlier, to make sure we're doing the clear things right, or we'll never be able to navigate the more nuanced things right. Uh, Then we get into some discussion about the roles of men and women. And again, one thing that you should highlight how the men should pray is without anger or quarreling. You see the connection there to earlier in the chapter. But later on in the chapter, it says something that I think is quite important for us, something that's controversial in churches and in ministry is what is the role of women in the church? And obviously, that could be a long discussion about that. But one thing I would say is God does not intend for women to be the pastors of a church or to be the teachers of a church. They should not be the ones shepherding the congregation through through teaching and exercising oversight and authority. Now, why do I think that? Well, I think if you just read the Bible, that is the conclusion you will come to. But one of the main reasons why you will come to that conclusion is what we see here at the end of 1 Timothy 2. It says, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness in verse 11, going on to say, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. So there it says it in pretty straightforward language. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. And then he gives a reason why. And he doesn't go, note this, he doesn't go to any cultural reason. He goes back to creation for Adam was formed first, then Eve and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. He goes all the way back to creation because you're going to hear people say, well, you know, this passage, there's a lot of, there's a lot of possible interpretations. So how do we know that's the right one? And that's where I would say, just read the passage for yourself. Doesn't it seem pretty clear? Just because someone says, well, there's a lot of interpretations doesn't mean that they're valid. And just because people have come up with a lot of interpretations doesn't mean that they deserve our attention, right? God's word, I think, on this subject is clear. And I do think that it is something that will, in some cases, divide faithful churches from churches that are just buying into the culture. And there can be varying degrees of that. There are, I think, faithful Christians who would disagree with me on this. But I would say sometimes, even often, when people begin to give way on this, it's kind of a slippery slope to giving way to a lot of things that the world is going to want to tell us to reinterpret the Bible. So that's why I think this is an important passage. It ends with an interesting statement saying, yet she 
she, referring to the woman, will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. One commentator put it well, if you're scratching your head saying, what does that mean? He says, while the woman may have led the human race into sin, women have the privilege of leading many out of sin to godliness through their role as a mother. So even there, it highlights that unique role of motherhood that only women obviously can have and the effect that that can have on the next generation. So a lot of things to see there, even a lot of controversial things there in 1 Timothy God's word is good. And on several things there, I think God's word is clear. Let's make sure we are doing what God's word clearly says. Thanks for digging into God's word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.